My name's Jonathan. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, Welcome to Redeemer Fellowship. A couple of things before we jump into the sermon this week. Well, that was was the couple of things. I was going to dismiss the children. (laughs) Children can be dismissed. I literally forget every week. I don't understand why I can't figure that out. I think I just really like our kids and I want them to be with us, but... I feel like I was really going smooth, too, you know? Things were going well, and wasn't stumbling over my words. Man, can't win, right? So a couple of, couple of announcements. Um, so what's happening this week um, at Redeemer Fellowship? On Wednesday evening, we have our family night. We're going to be meeting here in this room. Uh, what's, oh, I thought I heard something. Sorry. We're going to be meeting here in this room at 6.30 to... Um, to be together, have some fellowship. We're going to sing some Christmas carols together. Uh, we're asking that you would sign up for that. There should be, should be a sign up in, um, in the email that I sent out this week. And um, we're asking if you do come to bring a dozen cookies. Um, just one dozen, no more than one dozen. We want to uh, not have an overabundance of cookies left over. There's always, already a number of people signed up for that. So I really think it's going to be a good night. So I'm really looking forward to that this week. And we're going to play some music, sing some songs. I think, uh, I think Tara and Cheryl are going to join me on some uh, piano and guitar, and we're going to play. I'm going to play some guitar. I love to play guitar sometimes. Um, also, we have some community groups meeting throughout the week. The Stangleys are meeting on Monday. Um, the Cromwells are meeting on Tuesday. And the recovery group is also meeting on Wednesday evening. They'll be in the Anderson room. Is that correct? Um, so if that's something that you are in need of, by all means, please talk to Anthony. Also, if you are not yet involved in a community group, I want to encourage you to reach out to Rich Cromwell. You can also find his email on the bulletin. Um, I believe it's on the back of the bulletin. Yes, on the back of the bulletin on the bottom, you can reach out to Rich, Rich Cromwell at communitygroups at RedeemerNJ.com. So I would encourage you to get involved in a community group. Also, next Sunday, we have our children's Christmas program. So all of the children here at Redeemer Fellowship are invited to participate in that. There will be a practice, a rehearsal, immediately following the service today. So if you do have kids that are interested in being involved in that, they're going to be rehearsing that for a little bit following the service today. And there's an insert in the bulletin for that as well. And finally, Christmas Eve is on December 24th, and we'll be meeting here at 6.30 for our Christmas Eve service. So we'll be here Christmas Eve at 6.30 for our service. And then Sunday, following Christmas Day, uh, we're going to have a, like a stripped-down kind of service where it's just going to be about an hour long. We're going to hear a short devotional. I'm going to share a short devotional. I'm probably going to lead worship that morning. We're going to give Redeemer Kids teachers off that Sunday, so kids are going to be in the service with us. And um, we're going to give the music team off that Sunday as well. And we're just going to have a short hour-long service. We will participate in communion. We do invite you to be a part of that. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a nice time just to be together uh, the day after Christmas. So with that, oh no, wait, last thing. Um, For those of you who are committed to Redeemer Fellowship, how we do giving here is um, we have an online platform that we utilize, and we also have the box in the back of the sanctuary. If you're visiting with us, uh, we're not expecting you to give this morning, but rather just enjoy your time, enjoy the service, and um, I'd love to get to know you out in the hallway following the service. So with that, let me pray really quick as we transition into our service this morning, our sermon this morning. Father, we love you, and um, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you love us. I pray now as we look into your word, Father, that you would draw us near to yourself. Make us more and more like your son, Jesus, Lord. That is our hope. Convict us of sin. 
Help us to see you more clearly. Help us to see others, Lord, that we might love them in tangible ways and reflect the good news of our King, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so like I said, we are in Matthew 25 this morning. If you have a Bible, please turn there. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 30. Also, you were given a bulletin when you came in, and so in the bulletin there's an insert that has the passage of Scripture we're going to be working through and also a brief outline on the other side where you can take some notes. So our text this morning, it carries a lot of the same themes that we've been wrestling with over the last couple of weeks. Watching and waiting. How are we to live as we await the return of Jesus? What is our lives, what are our lives supposed to look like as we watch and wait for the coming of our Lord? And so like I mentioned last week, the parables we're looking at in Matthew 25 are a part of what is known as the Olivet Discourse. And this portion of Scripture is a teaching where Jesus unpacks both the end of the world as his disciples knew it, the destruction of the temple, the fall of, the, of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, but it also deals with the end of the age, which is when Jesus will return to set the world right and establish the fully realized kingdom of God. The book of Revelation refers to this as the new heavens and the new earth. And so while the disciples were concerned with when this would all take place, when Jesus would finally set himself up as king, Jesus was more concerned with how they ought to be living in the meantime. How they ought to be living in the meantime. As I said, Advent is a season where we are surrounded by darkness, where the life and vibrancy of spring and summer are eclipsed by shortened days and the drop in temperature. And it's in the midst of this darkness, a darkness that reminds us of the brokenness of this world, where we are reminded of the good news that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead, and two, how we ought to be living our lives in the meantime, as good seeds among the weeds, loving God and neighbor, extending grace and forgiveness to a watching world. As wise and prepared, faithfully making our way to the wedding feast, and as we'll see today, servants who respond to the grace and generosity of God with trust and obedience. And so, let's take a look at our passage, each according to their ability. Verses 14 through 15, it reads like this. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. All right, so a couple things, a couple of observations. And, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but I do this when I preach. I like to read the passage, and I like to throw out some observations. I think that's important for us to recognize that when we're studying our own Bibles— it's important to just observe what do we see in front of us, what's in the text, what pops out, what stands out as we're going through a passage that we're working on. So the first thing that popped out to me, the word for that begins this particular passage, it lets us know that we're still talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's a transition word. It's a connecting word. 
And we're talking about the kingdom of heaven because it says for it. And what is it referring to? It's referring back to the very thing we've been discussing. And it will be like a man going on a journey. This is what Jesus is comparing the kingdom of heaven to. But I think it's important, too, because we're discussing the kingdom of heaven, that what Jesus is trying to set forth before his disciples as he's teaching them is that the kingdom of heaven is in their midst. And and that's important for us to recognize that the kingdom of heaven, it's here. And some of you might be being like, well, what what do you mean the kingdom of heaven is here? Like, I just turned on the news last night and it doesn't feel like the kingdom of heaven is here. And this is what theologians call the already and not yet nature of the kingdom of God. Or, Or as some might put it, the inaugurated kingdom of God, meaning that it started, but it has not yet been fully realized. It, it began, but, but all the policies haven't really filtered through the rest of the kingdom yet, if you will, to, to kind of extend that metaphor of an inauguration. And so as we stand here in 2021 in Toms River, New Jersey, the kingdom of God is present. Jesus is on the throne. And so we, as his followers, are meant to be ambassadors and representatives of that kingdom, pointing people to the one who is seated on the throne. And so that's what it means when he's talking about the kingdom. And and it'll make sense because he talks about how life looks like in the kingdom. He says, for it will be like a man. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. He entrusts his servants with his property, and he entrusts them with what the Bible calls a talent. Now, this is really important. A talent is not a special ability that we have. Like, I can play the guitar. I'm decent at guitar. That's something I enjoy doing. I've been doing it since sixth grade, and and everyone in this room has talent. Some of you are really good with your hands, and you can build. You know, Travis is a good drummer, right? And and some people are are gifted in teaching, and some people have talents uh, when it comes to cooking, and whatever the case may be. That's not what we're talking about here. A talent is actually, a, it's, it's, it's a unit of, of income. It's, it's, a, it's, it's meant to measure money. And so a talent is 20 years wage. Think about that, 20 years wage. And so the five talents is about $8 million in our circumstances. Um, the two talents might be around $3.2 million. One talent in our understanding, if we're looking at the average income in America right now, is about $1.6 million. So, so really what we're getting at is that the man gave his servants an enormous amount of money. An enormous amount of money. Keep that in, in mind. And what I find so helpful about this particular parable is that he gives them each according to his own ability each according to his own ability. I want you to hold that in your head for a few minutes. We're going to get back to that. So what's going on here, right? There's the obvious part that this is a story about three servants who were given large sums of money and that each were given what the owner thought they could handle. And so a little bit of reflection here. This story, one, it seems to be talking about Christians as these three individuals are referred to as servants. That's a key term there that's being used. The man, as we'll see later, known as the master, appears to be overwhelmingly generous and trusting. I mean, think about this. He gave his servants a lot of money. That's a man of, of great trust. He, he sees his servants and he's like, I, want, I, I trust these people. I trust that they're going to do something with what I give them. 
and, and I tr- maybe I trust this one a little bit more. You know, I'm going to give him five talents, and I trust this guy a good amount, and I trust this guy too, but not as much as I trust the first guy. But, but make no bones about it, he still trusts that third guy because he gives him a lot. And not only is he overwhelmingly generous and trusting, he also has the best interest of his servants in mind. Remember, he gave to them each according to his ability. And so the point, our journey as servants begin with grace, overwhelming grace and a calling to mature into the follower of Jesus we are meant to be. Let's dig in a little bit here, right? God has a way of using his image bearers to do his bidding. And, and maybe a better way of thinking about that is that he uses us to extend the grace, mercy, and hope of his kingdom to the world around us. But what's important to remember in this particular passage is that the way he does this in each of us is unique. As, as one commentator puts it, the kingdom of heaven is not a one-size-fits-all economy. God's people are different and he treats them differently. And, and, we, and we, we see this all throughout the scriptures. We see this in, in 1 Corinthians 12. And, and I was going to go there, but I'm not going to go there right now. That it's, this is that passage that Paul writes about having how there's one body and many parts. That not everybody is a foot, not everybody is a hand, not everybody is a toe, right? We all have different things that we bring to the table. And the beauty of that is that there is this wonderful sort of, sort of, sort of thing being created that, that we, we, are, we are just this like, like diverse group of people, this beautiful, diverse group of people, bringing all sorts of different things to the table so that we might reflect the image of God in a way that, that really hits everyone. It's a beautiful thing to kind of wrestle with, but there's also this other side to this because we live in a world where, where we just compare. We love to compare ourselves. We grow jealous of what other people have, and social media has just just like launch this into a whole new stratosphere of difficulty because we scroll through and we start comparing ourselves to everyone, right? If you're a mom, God's not calling you to be like the moms you read about or you see on social media who appear, emphasis on appear, to have it all together. For our young women, the airbrushed and filtered images you see as you scroll through Instagram are not the standard you need to concern yourself with, nor which you should be aspiring to. And men, whatever success story you've convinced yourself of, whoever it is that you think you're supposed to be, God has already entrusted something to you. And we need to lean into that. And, and, and even for those who are single, you are not incomplete because you don't have a spouse or a family. See, marriage is not some ideal. What we're being called to as followers of Jesus is to walk in the vocation that God has entrusted to us. I'm not supposed to be the best sesky I can be. I'm supposed to be what God has called me to be. That's massively important. Walk as the person God has called you to be. And so the point in this particular section is that watching and waiting means to live in light of the calling that God has placed upon you, whom he's lavished his grace upon and has entrusted with the keys of the kingdom. We are to walk in that grace, allowing the Spirit of God to mold and shape us into the child of God he intends us to be, not what he intends for another. That's really important. And I think it's becoming more and more important in the culture that we live in, where everyone is just comparing themselves to everyone else. 
But see, we do bring something unique to the table as individual Christians. And that's a beautiful thing that we need to rest in. And we can't become jealous of one another and and the gifts that other people are bringing to the table. We're going to see this kind of unfold a little bit as the text goes on. As as even in the mind of God, as he entrusts um, whatever he entrusts to us, he's not expecting the same things from everyone else. What he's expecting is faithfulness. What he's expecting is faithfulness. Let's let's continue here. Point two, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Um, Verses 16 through 18. And, And so the text continues. And what's important to remember is that this is a parable about the return of Jesus. All right, so we've got to continue to keep that in our brains as we're working through it, which means that the work being discussed after he went away in verse 15 is the work we're called to as we live our lives in the here and now. So let's, let's read a little bit. Verses 16 through 18, it says this. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. And so also he who had two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. All right, so the text says of the first servant who received the five talents that he went at once. And that word actually can also be translated immediately. He went immediately. And so the master knew that this first servant was absolutely the guy for the job. He doesn't waste a second, and he doubles what has been entrusted to him. So maybe around $16 million would be the current exchange rate. The second guy, who also is able to, he's also able to double what was given him. But notice the shift in tone. The third guy, what does he do? He digs a hole. He digs a hole. I'm reminded of uh, the Seinfeld episode where Jerry's childhood friend, whenever life got a little too difficult, he would run into the woods and dig a hole. I don't know if that's where he's going. But anyway, let's see here. I think a couple things are going on. I think one thing, right, there's an everydayness to this parable. One commentator says it like this, in stark contrast to the crises of the first half of the sermon, war, heresies, persecution, The last half pictures people eating, drinking, working in the field, feeding households, going to weddings, doing enterprising work, the stuff of real life. In other words, living the good life, living this kingdom life, it happens in the midst of the every day. It happens in the humdrum of every day. But also, what does faithfulness look like while we watch and wait for the return of our king? And so what we see happening is that the grace of God will either burden us a desire to run after him with everything we have, loving him, loving neighbor, or it will spoil us, make us lazy, cause us to presume on his grace as though grace expects nothing in return. Some of you might be squirming a little bit. What do you mean? Grace is free. Yeah, grace is free. Absolutely. But we're going to see something here, and I think we've been seeing it throughout the text, that that grace actually does have an expectation of us. It has an expectation of us. And we're going to see this outlined here as Jesus continues teaching through his parable. One theologian says it like this, God's grace is designed to produce obedience. God's grace is designed to produce obedience. In other words, something happens when we come to faith. We talked about this last week. Remember, 
When we come to faith, we are born again. We are new creations. Something is different about us as a result of the Holy Spirit breathing life into us. We're no longer what we once were. And so what's the point here? Well, some who receive the lavish gift of God's grace, who have been entrusted with the keys of the kingdom, they will respond with a life marked by love and progressive sanctification and maturity, while others will simply not respond. Well, others will simply not respond. See, the thing about our lives is that they reveal what we truly believe, and that is what we're seeing play out in this parable. They reveal what we truly believe. You get that? You get what's happening here. Something's unfolding as we work through this parable. Now keep in mind the master. Keep in mind the character of the master. What does he do? He lavishes grace on his servants. He gives them an exorbitant amount of money. He entrusts them with an exorbitant amount of responsibility. And he does have an expectation. He does have an expectation. The text goes on. Let me read verses 19 through 23. It says this. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And so if you remember, the text says that the master returned after a long time, which means that the servants had an opportunity to live their lives, build character, become exactly who they would become. One pastor says it like this, that the passage of time reveals our true character. Who we are is developed and proven over time, right? One mistake doesn't characterize who we are, but rather it's a life lived that kind of reveals who is this person. And so what we see is that both of the first two servants who faithfully handled what was entrusted to them, received the same reward. I think that's interesting, right? They both were spoken, the the, the master spoke the same things over both of them. Now, if you were running a business and one person brought back to you, you know, whatever the enormous amount of money was, the five talents doubled, and another employee brought back the two talents doubled, who gets employee of the month that month? Let's be honest, right? We're giving it to the guy who has now 10 talents in his hand rather than the guy who has four. But what does Jesus do? Or the master in this case. Let's not overinterpret, but let's be honest. The master, the master deals with them exactly the same. He affirms them. He welcomes them. He says, enter into the joy of your master. This is an incredible thing, right? And so this reward, it's, it's the affirmation of the master, the entrustment of more, and entering into the joy of their master. In other words, the grace of God, when received by faith, produces in us new desires and a life of faithfulness. And when we see our Lord face to face, when the veil is removed, we will be overwhelmed with a joy that is beyond anything we can possibly imagine. This is the hope of everything we have been promised. We get Jesus. And guess what? All the faithful ones, 
We all get Jesus. And so this means that, that the thief on the cross, who was a Christian for maybe like three minutes, gets the same reward as the guy who walked his entire life with Jesus, sacrificing everything, possibly on the mission field, doing all sorts of things. Maybe thousands of people come to faith because of this individual. Guess what they both get? Jesus. That is the beauty of grace. That is the wonder of this thing that we sing about. Amazing grace. This is, this is the glory of the gospel. That, that as we believe and we walk out this life in faithfulness, at the end of that road, we come face to face with our Lord. And he will speak those beautiful words over us. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so the grace of God and the spirit-wrought faith that we possess moves us, changes us, and sets us on a path of faithfulness that leads us into the arms of our Savior. Oh, that's good news, Redeemer Fellowship. That's good news. The text goes on, verses 24 and following. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Wait, what? Like right there, we should kind of like stop. Like I know I usually read through the whole text, and, but I knew you to be a hard man. Like on what planet? A hard man who just gave me 20 years wages? That doesn't make any sense. All right, so already in the response of the third servant, we see him scrambling a little bit. He's like, I got to figure something out, right? I got to like, because, because I just saw what happened with those two other guys. And now he's asking me, he's like, well, well, now nah, he must be a hard man, right? That's a, good, that's a good excuse, right? Right? Good excuse, hard man. Let's keep going. What does he say? I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth couple of things, right? There's this strange phrase that shows up, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And so this is really just another way of saying that everything you touch turns to gold. Like he has like, like the Midas touch, right? This guy can't lose. And so it appears that the goodness and success of the master has negatively shaped this one servant. Also, knowing that he was not faithful at all with what was given him, the servant, the servant takes a page out of Adam's book, right? He blames the master for his unfaithfulness. The woman you gave me made me sin, right? That seems to be what's happening here, right? He's literally blaming the master. He's blaming the generosity. This, this, this master who entrusted so much to him, and he's saying, it's your fault I didn't do anything. It's your fault. I mean, that takes moxie, right? That takes an enormous amount of moxie. 
So what's going on, right? Upon receiving this lavish gift and responsibility of the kingdom, this third servant decides to do nothing with it. Does nothing with it. He hides it in a hole. And the master, he's not buying this sob story. He says, you wicked and slothful servant. See, what the master received in return for his abundant grace and trust was a spit in the face. That's what the master received in response. And so I imagine that this third servant didn't really believe that the master was a hard man. I think, I think he's blowing smoke. I don't think he really believes that the master was a hard man. Rather, I think he really believes that the master was kind of a softy. Of course the master will be okay with my laziness and wickedness. I mean, look what he already gave me, this incredible gift to begin with that, that I in no way deserved. He won't care at all that I lived my life with the gift entirely out of mind. In fact, I intentionally put it out of my mind so as not to be reminded of it, so that I can justify my life in the way I live as I please. Remember, he dug a hole and buried it while the others spent their lives with it in their hands and on their minds day in and day out. I mean, what do we do with the grace of God? What do we do with this thing that's been entrusted to us? Do we kind of put it away so we're not reminded of it? Do we pretend that it doesn't exist and go live our lives as though it doesn't matter that Jesus came and died and suffered and, and was buried and rose again on the third day and ascended to the right hand of the Father and rules over all of creation? Do we take that beautiful story of the gospel and kind of throw it in a closet so we don't have to be reminded of it? I think sometimes we do. Does that characterize our lives? Because if it characterizes our lives, this parable is a warning. This parable is a warning. On the other hand, those other two servants, they wrestled with that grace day in and day out. I imagine you'd have to if you're going to double your profits. I imagine it'd be something you wake up thinking about if you were able to, to make that much of a profit off of what was invested in you. The other guy did nothing with it. I think it's interesting because while this parable isn't specifically about money, it, it, it's also about money, right? Because how we use our money does reveal where our heart is. It does reveal what we value. That's just an important thing to kind of keep in our minds as we work through this text, as we live our lives as Christians, that, that how we use our time, how we use our money, it does reveal something about what we believe about the world. The text then closes in judgment. The faithful one was given even more grace, and the unfaithful one who presumed upon the grace of God was cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I know we don't, we don't like these kinds of verses. I don't like these kinds of verses. I'll be, I'll be fully upfront and honest with you. I don't like to imagine that there are people who will be separated from Jesus for all eternity. That does not, that, that's, I know I've, I've heard some Christians who get excited about that. Like, that doesn't excite me. That doesn't excite me. I think judgment's a necessary evil for sure, right? It has to happen. Evil's maybe not the best word for it, but it's necessary but I don't, I don't revel in it. I don't think any of us should revel in it. But there is judgment. God will not be mocked. So again, if this is the way our lives are, are characterized, I'm not saying a mistake, right? 
We're going to slip up. We're going to fall. We're going we're gonna to stumble. Oh, but the grace, is God. the grace of God is sufficient to bring us back home. That's the wonder of the gospel. But if we have taken the good news of Jesus and we've tucked it away so it no longer is something that we are concerned with and we live our lives as though it doesn't even matter anymore, this parable is a warning. This parable is a warning. You know what's also great about this parable? There's also excitement in this parable. There's also this incredible promise that for the faithful ones who fight tooth and nail to follow Jesus, who repent of sin, confess sin, who love God and love neighbor, who care for the needs within the church and outside of the church, who entrust themselves to Jesus, are going to one day stand before God and we're going to hear those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. I mean, that, that right there, I mean, that, if that doesn't, doesn't kind of like send shivers throughout our body, like that is such good news. That's such good news. So like I've been saying the last couple of weeks, like I don't want us to, to leave here this morning, you know, condemning ourselves, whipping ourselves, and, 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 and questioning every single thing that's ever happened to us. I want us to be warned. I do. I want us to be warned. But I also want us to walk in confidence. This is a tightrope, right? This is, this is hard. Salvation is of God, and, 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 we, and, and, and nothing will separate us from the love of God. Right? Right? We're promised that. Paul promises. He says that in, in the book of Romans, right? Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Let's just make sure that we believe this gospel. Let's make sure we believe it. we got to believe it. And faith results in faithfulness. It's a life that we live as a result. And again, we talked about this last week. It's love that should be marking our lives as Christians. Even this next parable we're going to look at next week about the final judgment. Notice who gets in and who gets out. The ones who are in are the ones who cared for the needs of the poor, of the broken, of the oppressed. You're like, whoa, John, you sound like, you know, some kind of like social gospel, social justice warrior. What's going on here? Like, I don't know. I'm just going to, like, this is the words of Jesus. You know, tell, I, I don't know. I can't, I don't know what to tell you about that. That's what Jesus says. He says that if you believe, if you really believe it, it's going to show up in your life. And if you don't believe it, it's just not going to show up. It's not going to be there. And that's just what it says. Like, and, it's, and it's simple, right? But it's hard. It's hard. And we got to fight. And we need one another in order to engage in this fight. We need one another. We need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be challenged. We need to be humble enough to, to accept rebuke of sin when, when, we're, when we're, not, we're not walking right. We need to love. We need to love as Christ loved. See, watching and waiting, Redeemer. Watching and waiting. The time between the Advents is a time where we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Where we enjoy the amazing grace of our Lord. The Father has adopted us into his family. 
He has equipped us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might live out our lives, proclaiming the good news of Jesus in both word and deed. And while we will not fulfill that calling perfectly, the gift of grace does call for faithfulness. We have a sign in our house that says, be faithful, not perfect. It's a really helpful reminder because we're not going to hit it every time. Like I said in the, in the final parable in this section, Jesus will give us some concrete examples of what that faithfulness looks like. He will put faces to the mission. What I ho- hope we heard this morning was a message of hope. My prayer is that those of us who are carrying the love, mercy, and grace of our Lord with them throughout their days, into their families, their marriages, their workplaces, and neighborhoods, that you are encouraged At the end of your road, you will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. But for those of us here who are simply going through the motions, it's time to wrestle. Who and what have you entrusted your life to? The master is calling you. He is offering you grace. Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Do we believe that? Do we believe that? If so, it will show up in our lives. If not, do business with Jesus this morning. That's my prayer for you. Let's go to the Lord. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you so much. We truly do. We love you with all of our hearts. Father, I thank you for what this passage has done in me throughout this week, studying it and wrestling with it, Lord God, the conviction I felt. Father, I pray that I would be able to walk faithfully with you, Lord God, that I would continue fighting. Father, I pray for for this church, Lord God, your church, Redeemer Fellowship. I pray for the people in this church, Lord God, that we would be a people marked by grace, mercy, and love, Lord God. Not just in word, Lord, but in deed that we would truly live out this calling, Lord God, so that one day we might stand before you face to face and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master, Lord. We all long to hear those words, Lord God. Father, I pray that in the meantime, as we await your coming, that we would live in such a way that shows the world just what you are like, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.